In the best of times, pursuing recovery from substance use disorders and maintaining sobriety are a daily grind. Factor in the pandemic, its isolating effects, the social and economic upheaval that has followed, and those personal challenges are made all the more difficult. Today, we're joined by Dawn Kepler, coordinator for the MSU Collegiate Recovery Community, and Chris Anthony, vice president of U.S. Consumer Goods at Salesforce. We're discussing recovery, sobriety, and the destigmatization of both on college campuses and in the corporate world. Dawn's passion for helping others struggling with substance use stems from her journey with recovery 18 years in the making. With a BS in psychology and work in the substance use disorder prevention and recovery fields, Dawn strives to improve behavioral health services by incorporating research on program design with the ultimate goal of achieving sustainable outcomes for those in recovery. Chris studied marketing at MSU and has established himself as a business leader, public speaker, coach, mentor, and lifelong student striving to be of service to others. With over 25 years of experience in technology, he currently serves as the vice president of U.S. Consumer Goods at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, where he grew from account executive to vice president. Chris recently opened up about his 15-year journey with sobriety and established the SoberExec.com to help others navigate recovery and sobriety. It's a pleasure to welcome both Dawn and Chris to MSU today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us here. Dawn, why don't you start if you can provide us with some insight on the founding of Collegiate Recovery Community on MSU's campus and, and the progress it's made since being established, I guess, kind of the mission. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So our Collegiate Recovery Community here at MSU has been on quite a journey from the very beginning. It has been spearheaded by students. It's for students by students who have come to MSU, our health promotion department, seven years ago. There were three students who said, we are in recovery and we don't see the resources that we need on campus and asked for help. And at that time, staff in the health promotion department, which I work in, helped those three students to establish a registered student organization. And the students just continued to advocate for themselves with the help of staff and faculty at MSU And it wasn't too long after that, that um, MSU had actually added on, um, expanded our support and uh, found some space on campus for a recovery lounge for our students in recovery to have a safe space where they feel like they can be a part of the campus community um, and also feel supported in their recoveries from a substance use disorder. And so the students continued to advocate. And then it was approximately three years ago that a more formal program uh, was established that is similar to what we have today, the collegiate recovery community. And the students didn't stop there. They continued to see some needs on campus around housing for some on-campus recovery housing space. And so then it was a two and a half years ago, actually, that recovery housing was established on campus. And MSU has the first on-campus recovery housing in the state of Michigan. And it all stemmed from needs being identified, uh, students advocating for that, and working with staff and faculty on campus to make that happen. And so the ultimate Michigan mission of the collegiate recovery community is 
to help students achieve their goals, their academic goals, their personal goals, and their recovery goals, and live um, a full college experience, uh, feeling supported in their recovery from a substance use disorder. And Dawn, say a little more about this need for destigmatization. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, that plays a huge role in why um, these kind of services are actually needed on college campuses, because research has shown us that um, addiction and recovery are often stigmatized. Um, there are a lot of misperceptions about addiction and recovery. And in fact, research has also shown that students in recovery in particular on college campuses uh, tend to be marginalized and underserved. Um, and recovery um, hostile environments. So research has also told us that uh, college campuses can be recovery hostile. And so when you have um, a long history of, of cultures on college campuses that aren't supportive of, of being sober, of not using, um, it kind of sets up this precedent. And that's where the destigmatization comes in. And that is why MSU has launched a recovery ally training here at MSU so that we can help educate and provide resources for staff and faculty, students and community partners to learn about the disease of addiction and how to be an ally supporting and advocating for our students in recovery. Um, these trainings, these recovery ally trainings convey the importance of empathy and openness with students in recovery and that the language we use related to addiction and recovery really does matter. You know, collegiate recovery community is a relatively new concept, not just on MSU's campus, but nationwide with its founding occurring less than a decade ago. And Dawn and Chris, both of you attended MSU before the program's establishment. What were some of the hurdles or consequences you faced as students without a supportive community in place? I, I think, sure, thank you, Don. And I, I think from my point of view, what I'm witnessing is we're in a really challenging situation for a lot of individuals because it's hard enough for people to make themselves vulnerable to reach out and ask for help. And when we're quarantined or locked in place, it makes it harder sometimes to reach out to others because there's just not the physical element or the privacy that we once knew. And then secondly, I think that the challenge around just addiction in any form whatsoever is, is, is hidden more than ever right now because we're all on Zoom, we're all on video. And someone can easily be living a very dark moment in their life and get on camera and smile to everybody. And when that camera turns off, they're back in their dark dungeon of whatever misery they're experiencing. And they're not going into an office space where someone can notice that they're declining or it's easier to hide use now because you can have a coffee cup with wine in it and sit on a Zoom and do that all day long and no one knows the better. So I, I, I think there is a lot of challenges that not only are occurring right now, but we're going to start to realize over the coming months and years, the long tail of this, that's going to require the community getting even stronger. Dawn, what about your experience? I've had, I had a similar experience in that not being able to find the resources that I needed at the time. And Chris brings up a really great point about awareness. And I think that plays into the stigma as well, in that um, there's a lot of awareness 
thank goodness, around other mental health issues, particularly depression and anxiety. And I think that's the direction we need to go with substance use disorders. Some of the students we have in our collegiate recovery community have told us that um, they were diagnosed with depression um, years ago. And so they sought um, treatment for the depression and they never even um, were made aware or had any kind of awareness that the substance use piece might be part of the problem. And it wasn't, they didn't see that turning point until they were diagnosed with a substance use disorder and began receiving treatment and assistance with the substance piece. And so for me, I, um, I was a young person in recovery when I was a student here at MSU. And I searched hot as with, with the capability that I had at the time for not, not even understanding the word recovery or identifying that that was what I was part of at the time. And so I found some various uh, community service groups that were helping other people that I could relate to and try to find a sense of community there since I couldn't find recovery focused um, peers at the time. And so for me, um, that was really a challenge because those community service groups in and around campus um, had a culture of socialization outside of the service opportunities we did that really revolved around partying, drinking, and some of the meetings were even at bars. And so for me, I didn't find my own kind of community until I decided to make my career out of my passion to support uh, others around substances. So Dawn, how do students now typically discover MSU's collegiate recovery community and what is its impact on their campus experience and success? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a little bit all over the board for how students find us. And as Chris mentioned, we have the great um, resources now of having online promotion. Um, it still can be hard to connect the individuals who need the services with the services themselves. Um, we have the majority of our students who are currently part of our collegiate recovery community, 80% who um, found out about it after they became an MSU student. So either word of mouth, they did an online search, they heard about it at a 12-step or other recovery support meeting. Um, about half of those also heard about it through a campus partner. So we uh, are really indebted to our campus partners, uh, the Counseling and Psychiatric Services, uh, Dean of Students Office, who have been great partners in helping to try to identify when students need these supports to get them connected in. Um, that leaves about 20% of our students who are part of our collegiate recovery community who found us before they even came to MSU and many of them before they even decided to become a Spartan. And so this is actually in line with what the research tells us that one in three students in recovery would not be enrolled in college and actually one in five would not have selected their current present institution had there not been a collegiate recovery program because these students recognize the importance of having uh, supports available so that they can uh, succeed as a college student. And, um, and our students are some of the most successful uh, students on colleges. Uh, we see it here at MSU and the research that's been done across the country. Our own students in our collegiate recovery community have reported, uh, we collect data from them annually. 
and they've reported GPAs above 3.0 for 100% of our students, cumulative GPAs above 3. And 50% of our students have a 3.5 and higher. And our students have gone on and graduated and done amazing things. As you, anyone who knows an individual in recovery, you uh, will be able to recognize the resilience and strength and dedication of an individual when you have to uh, balance out everything that it means to be a student while also taking care of yourself because you really have to prioritize a lot of time and energy into self-care, into your mental health, into your recovery supports. Um, and on top of that, our students, most of them also have jobs and do a lot of work through community service. So our students are very busy, they're very dedicated, and they do go on to do amazing things after they graduate MSU. Well, and of course the pandemic is affecting everyone and everything. How in particular is it impacting the recovery community and how is the community adjusting? Absolutely, we are seeing uh, similar trends with our students in recovery struggling through uh, the pandemic as well. And I think isolation was mentioned that is a huge risk factor that our students report year after year, even before the pandemic started. And the pandemic itself has been an isolating experience for a lot of our students who are living alone off campus or even on campus and don't have those social connections. And as Chris mentioned, it is really difficult to reach out to others, especially when you don't have those kind of natural opportunities that you would typically have to engage with other people. Um, and this is uh, an issue specifically for the college population because when you have young adults, this is uh, the developmental time when that social connection is particularly salient. So that's one of the, the biggest priority areas for a student um, when they're at that developmental age. And so really looking for spaces to safely connect has been huge for our students. And our students have had a lot of anxiety around the pandemic and wanting to stay safe. And how do you balance staying safe um, and healthy in a pandemic while also supporting your substance use disorder, which can also be deadly. And so um, it's been a really hard balancing act for our students. And so through the collegiate recovery community, we have tried to provide as many safe spaces that follow um, pandemic guidelines as possible. We've been providing our services um, through hybrid formats whenever possible. So we've provided both in-person as well as virtual platforms at the same time. So students who either live far away or learning from home right now can still stay engaged. Both students who are local can also come in person or if they feel um, more comfortable joining virtually, they have that option. And so that's been something, or if they're quarantined, waiting for a coronavirus test results, they can still be able to join virtually. Um, we have done some outdoor physically distanced activities as well. We've gone kayaking. We've taken um, campus walks in the botanical gardens and the horticultural gardens here on campus. And we've also added additional meeting opportunities for our students because we've the feedback we've received from our students is that it's really important to hold space right now, even if students are fatigued from virtual meetings or feeling really overwhelmed or or 
not being able to reach out when they need to, just knowing that there is that space available for when they do need it has been really important. So in addition to our weekly all recovery support meetings we have every Thursday night, we also added on Monday meditations as another option for our students as well. So Chris, we, we mentioned you're an executive at one of the fastest growing tech companies in the world. And in June of 2020, you opened up to your network about your sobriety in a LinkedIn post. After 15 years of sobriety, what made you feel comfortable with the vulnerability of becoming an advocate and what, what kind of response did you get? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting, Russ. Um, the beginning of this year, like most people do, you sit down and you start mapping out your resolutions for the year and your goals for the year. And I knew that I was creeping up on 15 years of sobriety, which as you highlighted was going to be in June of 2020 of this year. And, and I was thinking a lot about the fact that here I am hitting almost 15 years and yet I really don't talk about it publicly and sure people around me that worked with me would know, but I didn't talk about it publicly. And that was really bothering me a lot. There was two main things that really were drivers that got me to open up. And, and it, it happened to be through giving to others. One of them is I have uh, the extraordinary opportunity to work with Navy SEALs through the SEAL Future Foundation. And Navy SEALs, as they are looking to make the transition from military life into business life, I've been able to take what I know in business and help empower them to move into the business world and interview and, and, and think about resetting the next phase of their life and what they're going to do in the business world. And if anybody knows anything about Navy SEALs, that's a community of some pretty gritty, top performing, tough guys. And I was always ashamed to talk about my sobriety. I didn't think it was admirable. I didn't think it was all that cool. I was ashamed of it, just flat out ashamed to talk about it. And I also believe that somehow it was going to limit me from getting ahead in life. And so as I'm working with these SEALs, I would talk to a couple of them and I'd mentioned that I was sober and one day, one guy said to me, he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what, 15 years of sobriety? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you have to tell every person you meet about this. And I was like, well, why? And he said, because we think that's cool. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you had an advers adversity in your life. You took control of it and you overcame it. He goes, there is nothing cooler to us than anybody that gets their life in order and sets themselves up for success. And so I talked to a couple more SEALs, same response. That's cool to us. And, and so that was weighing heavily on my mind like, okay. And then the other um, charity I get the extraordinary chance to work with is uh, a little bit of a dream come true. I'm a big Metallica fan, the band, and I help with their charity and try to help, uh, help others through that community. And it's such a gift to get to work with them, but we help individuals that are struggling. And a lot of times these individuals have really, really tough backgrounds that really need a helping hand to, you know, get a welding degree uh, in community college or just get some help getting food from a food bank. And, you know, you meet so many of these individuals along the way that we're helping and you start to talk to them and they're so vocal about the challenges in their life and everything that they've been up against. And with admiration, I would ask, well, hey, what gives you the courage to speak up about the adversity in your life? And they kind of look at me like I'm a little bit of a bonehead. They'd be like, well, it helps others. <laughs> so I, I, my wake up moment to finally answer your question was, I'm like, okay, if Navy SEALs thinks it's okay that I'm sober and the Metallica community thinks it's cool that I'm sober, I'm like, what is my problem? Like, why am I so ashamed and hidden of this? So you're right, on June 20th this year, I decided to quote unquote, come out about my sobriety. And I posted an article on LinkedIn called 15 things I've learned in 15 years of sobriety. 
and I put it all out there and I was scared as could be. And I put it on a couple other social media channels as well. And exactly zero bad things happened to me. In fact, just the opposite occurred. In that very moment, I had discovered my why in life. I discovered my purpose in life. And I knew right then that it was simple to be of service to others. Literally every day since that post, I get asked for help. It's been an outstanding experience. And it's led me to this discussion. Six months ago, Don, I would not have been on this podcast with you. Russ, no way. Wasn't going to speak out openly. But here I am. And it's the greatest feeling ever. And if it gives anybody an ounce of encouragement that you can speak up about being sober and be proud of it, I'm doing my job. And, and you know, Chris, both on college campuses and in the corporate world, there is sort of that that pressure to celebrate and commiserate with alcohol or substances. What are some mechanisms or responses you've developed to navigate these social pressures and that maybe you can recommend to others? Yeah, I, I, just to dig in deeper to what you're saying here too is, is that I, I think about, look, I work, in, I work in sales and anybody that's in the sales culture knows that alcohol is very central to it. Uh, you know, the phrase, we wine and dine customers. I mean, look at that right there. Take them out and wine them and dine them. I mean, that just denotes alcohol and celebration focus alcohol. And, and I think in, in business, business world, it's just something that's, a, a, to your point, just very typical and, and normal. Well, I've been navigating it for 15 plus years. And to me, it's about saying no. And it's about remembering that I'm simply just trying to be healthy and never, ever apologize or feel sorry about it. Because there's lots of things that people, reasons why people need to be healthy, whether it's eating better, not smoking, not doing tons of things, but for whatever reason, uh, there is a massive stigma attached to saying, I don't drink, right? That doesn't happen with mayonnaise or cilantro when you say no to it. People don't say, what do you mean? Were you addicted to cilantro? Were you addicted to mayonnaise? Nope. Just with drinking, it opens up another question. And you just have to get comfortable in your, your own skin answering it. And First of all, no apology ever needed. No need to ever feel bad for the fact that you're choosing a healthy lifestyle. And I know this gives people anxiety all day long and it scares people that I can't do this. And I hear horror stories all the time now that I've opened up about my sobriety, I hear horror stories. But I am here to say that part of my other mission is I'm gonna end the stigma, but there is no need ever to apologize for being healthy. And I wonder if you could explain to people, Chris, what you mean when you say sobriety is your superpower. Yeah, I, 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 to, uh, to give full credit to Brene Brown, who's an extraordinary author and, you know, 25 year plus sober individual herself. Uh, I, I took that from her. I heard her talk about that. And, and, and the reason that I really lean into that statement is, as I mentioned, I was very ashamed of talking about it openly. Yet, as I reflected on how much I've been able to achieve in my life, I realized that that achievement only happened because of that sobriety. That 15 year window of sobriety, I grew more, far more than I ever did every year before it. And everything that I've been able to do and be in a position to help others is because of that sobriety. And there's an old saying for people that have challenges with addiction, you either get locked up, you get covered up, or you get sobered up. I chose to get sobered up and it has paid dividends since the day I made that choice. It's my superpower. And Chris, just say a little more about some of the initiatives you're championing, like SoberForce and the SoberExec.com. And, you know, Salesforce is a very employee-centric company where you're surprised they didn't have something to assist with sobriety. 
Yeah, there, there's quite a few things that has happened uh, since that June 20th coming out about my sobriety. And one of the most rewarding aspects of it, aside from the daily ask for help or encouragement, was at my great, wonderful company, Salesforce. And I'm very much speaking not for Salesforce, but is me, Chris Anthony here. But um, immediately three other executives in the company came to me and said, all right, you're sober too? Cool, we should do something with this. And we talked and we all were vulnerable with each other and we shared our stories. And, and we, we all talked about that challenge in business and sales about this idea of the stigma attached to being sober. And we thought we have such a gift. We work for such an extraordinary equality driven company that's thoughtful about social initiatives and well-being for all. And we thought, why don't we create a community within our own company that encourages others first and foremost to feel comfortable to ask for help because the, the resources that we provide as a company are suddenly much more visible by us sharing our own and our, our stories. And so we came up with this name Sober Force, which is our internal branding for our communities, Salesforce. We have uh, Latino Force and, and uh, Bold Force and all the different forces that drive communities together, Faith Force, Vet Force, et cetera. We created this community in the spirit of getting others to ask for help, but also just to point out that our stories are hopefully going to destigmatize addiction and being recovering again, just being healthy. It's just being healthy. And instantly the response was overwhelming in a, in a beautifully positive way. Uh, yeah, sure. A few people reached out for help. We had a lot of like non-drinkers that, or excuse me, uh, drinkers alike that have family members that were challenging or just said, hey, that's right. This is ridiculous. Why do we have the stigma? And the response has been extremely favorable. And we're just, we're so proud of that initiative. And I think about, it was easy for us to do at our company because we do work for such a fast forward tech company that is uh, equal, equal equality driven and, and really, you know, well-minded being. Um, but we still know that there's a lot of companies that would not do that or would support that kind of network. So we're trying to get the word out about it over time and here to set that template of success as an example for other companies to follow suit with. You know, we've touched a bit on the importance of destigmatizing recovery and sobriety. What are some proactive steps we can take to be good allies? And I think Chris just gave one of the greatest examples ever. I think celebrating and talking about recovery is huge. Raising the awareness, exactly like Chris said earlier. Um, Part of how someone could do that is by taking a recovery ally training. MSU isn't the only one who offers recovery ally trainings. Uh, there are other entities, including collegiate recovery communities across the nation who also offer those. Um, you can also, when you're concerned about someone, start a conversation and tell them that you're concerned about them and continue that conversation with empathy and openness. Uh, correct misconceptions. So a big part of what contributes to Stigma is misunderstanding and myths around addiction and recovery, and also not only correcting the misperceptions, but also correcting hurtful language. Uh, language really matters and can propagate, uh, continue stigma. And so not talking about substance use disorders as um, substance abusers um, we don't want to have any of that negative connotation uh, associated with addiction and with an individual who is navigating addiction and navigating recovery. Um, talk about it in, with language that puts the person first. 
So a person with a substance use disorder versus an addict. Um, and recognizing also that, that because recovery populations, uh, research tells us they are marginalized, that individuals who are in recovery may use language um, that they have taken ownership of and that in that context, it's okay if a person who identifies as being in recovery uses language that it isn't always okay for other people to. We don't want to um, have someone else uh, describe a person who has returned to use as dirty. Um, and so uh, language really matters in, in how we talk about addiction, how we represent individuals who are struggling with this disease of addiction. Um, another thing is, as Chris talked about, honoring someone's decision to refrain from alcohol and other drug use, regardless of, they don't have to give a reason. Um, when a person does say that they might be struggling or, or brings up um, some concerns of, for their own use, um, helping them connect them to resources. So being a warm hand, holding them, maybe virtually right now in the time of the pandemic, but get it, giving that warm hand off because it, as Chris mentioned also, like it can take a lot of courage to reach out for help. And so when a person does reach out to help, that's huge that they've made themselves vulnerable to you because of the stigma. There is often a lot of guilt and shame associated with struggling with addiction as well as recovery that uh, extends into recovery. And so when someone does open up to you, honor that and try to help them and follow their lead coming up alongside them. Um, sometimes a person might not be ready to um, take a step forward. Um, opening up and, and talking to you might be that step. And so understanding that sometimes planting a seed is the biggest step at all um, that you can take at that moment. Um, also, when you're planning gatherings, being thoughtful of how you host those gatherings. Do you have non-alcoholic options available? Where are you do, um, hosting those gatherings? Right now, obviously this is a, as much of an issue as non-pandemic times, but um, like when I had that experience as a college student uh, where the community service organizations hosted events at bars. And so being mindful of, it, of the context and the locations that you host gatherings uh, can also be important. And Chris, same question to you about how can we be good allies, but extending it to as Dawn started to, if there's someone in our life we think needs help, how do we you know, go about that with empathy? Yeah, I really like what Dawn talked about with the idea of just being thoughtful with our language. And I think we're there's a lot of lessons being learned right now globally about the importance of language and how we think about communicating with others. And we can just leave it at that. But, you know, I think the same applies to what's happening within individuals that need some encouragement or need some direction towards getting help. And I think the the idea of trying to have our eyes and ears open for those that will need help and are simply wanting to live healthy, fruitful lives. And so if, if to her point about, you know, offering a, a lending hand and being able to point them to some resources or being supportive as they try to find resources, that's just going to go a really long way. You know, I, I think back to the stigma concept too, we're running into this territory again, where someone makes the declaration, hey, I'm not drinking. And then they find themselves on their heels trying to defend why. 
So let's not crucify someone for the fact that they're choosing not to drink or be caught up in the motion of whatever's happening. It is really possible with just sparkling water or a Red Bull uh, to have equally as a good a time if you know you really look at it that way. But that that seems to be a struggle. Um, I, I think that you know for the individual that's on the receiving end of that type of questioning and 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 stuck with you know managing through that, it is super scary. It is just ominous for so many individuals. And it, it keeps people cooped up in their homes because they don't want to go out for fear of just being asked that question. And so to that, I would say, you know, there is a community to what everything Don talked about from both the collegiate level, but I think in the business world as well, there, there's a lot of different paths to start to open up this dialogue with others. So you can get comfortable with that conversation and almost be ready and excited to answer the question uh, about, you know, whether you're drinking or not. Um, so it's, it's a matter of seeking some community and knowing that you're also not alone. Well, we've been talking about recovery and sobriety with Don Kepler and Chris Anthony. Don leads Michigan State University's Collegiate Recovery Community, and Chris is a vice president at Salesforce. And I guess just let me ask you both to sort of summarize what you want us to take from this conversation. Sure. First, I just want to say how grateful I am to have this opportunity to talk very publicly about addiction and recovery and help increase the awareness. Um, kind of the theme of what we have talked about is the need for increased awareness, the need to uh, kind of try to overcome the stigma associated with it. And along those lines, um, the, get out the information um, instead of myths about substance use disorders and raise awareness about the fact that addiction is a chronic brain disease um, and it is a way for individuals to pursue a healthy, normal life in that um, many of the stereotypes around what an individual who struggles with substance use um, look like are not, in fact, what we see. Most people in their lives either have struggled with substances themselves or know another individual um, who has struggled. And if you don't know who that individual is, it might be worth starting to talk about addiction and recovery because as Chris mentioned earlier, I guarantee when you start talking about it, other people will join in the conversation because they personally have been affected by addiction as well. Um, it is very widespread. It is a disease like any disease, and it is something that should not be silenced because people feel shame or guilt over it um, being a disease. And people in recovery go on to lead hugely successful, happy lives. And so I think raising awareness will help more and more individuals be, to be able to achieve their goals and live that healthy, happy happy life. Yeah, I, I want to echo Don's gratitude. And, and I, I just I have to say this too, because I mentioned six months ago, I would not have had this conversation. This is yet another wonderful gift that has come along in this process of being vulnerable and speaking out. And so, you know, for any listener that's out there, if this helps you just a little bit, you've got one happy individual sitting here right now. So if it gives you any encouragement, I'm, I'm super pleased and, and happy. And, and that gratitude comes from this opportunity. Um, a couple of things and takeaways that I really want to highlight here. So, so first of all, ask for help. Full stop. Ask for help. If you are struggling, if someone you know or love or care about is struggling, ask for help. 
There's a ton of resources that Don highlighted. I don't care what walk of life you're from, where you're at. There are tons of resources that we'd be thrilled to help you with. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Chris Anthony, you can find me on there. I also, as Russ mentioned, have a website that I created in all this called thesoberexec.com and reach out to me there. Nothing would make me happier than to point you in the right direction. The second takeaway I wanna highlight is for the student that may hear this that's in recovery now and is really scared about going into the corporate or a career that somehow your sobriety and choice to be healthy is going to put a cap on your career. I'm here to tell you that it will not. You may have to manage it. You're gonna to have to learn to manage some conversations, but you should not be fearful about achieving everything you hope and dream to achieve in your life. This should not be a hindrance simply because you choose to be healthy. And if you wanna talk about that and you wanna practice the conversation, reach out to me. Again, nothing would make me happier. And then lastly, I think for the general audience overall is to recap a little bit of what Don was talking about is, is that let's just give some folks a break. For those that are genuinely trying to take care of themselves, let's be extra mindful of helping those individuals out, being an ally and being supportive. Now more than ever, as we've talked about, that's needed. And come to find out, and this is a little lesson I've learned as I get allegedly older, well, I definitely am getting older, but as I allegedly get wiser, is everybody struggles with something. And if you don't think that's true, you're lying to yourself. Everybody struggles with something and someone has helped you through that at some point in your life. So there's an opportunity to help others be better individuals and you'll become a better person in the process. That's my closing thoughts, Russ. Well, thank you very much, both Don Kepler and Chris Anthony for being so articulate and sharing your insight into this uh, deeply personal topic of recovery and sobriety. To learn more about their work for Don, it's healthpromotion.msu.edu slash recovery. Of course, you could just Google the collegiate recovery community as well. And as Chris said, his site is thesoberexec.com or just Google that too. And special thanks to Alex Gillespie for making this conversation possible. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.